my batteries died. <laughs> but I have God's word and a new set of batteries. Amen? Amen. Good morning again. And um, before we get into our reading for this morning, today is the final Sunday, as you saw in the introduction video, of our summer series, Summer Baggage. Um, during this opening summer series, we have been talking about the different kinds of baggage that, um, that weighs us down, that we carry, that has an impact on our relationships with God, with one another, and even with ourselves. And so before we get into our reading today, um, I want to remind you of a different reading. It's one where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered this question this way. He said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor, say that part with me, as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Put another way, Jesus teaches us that our ability to experience and live in the fullness of God's love and then to go out and share that love with our neighbor is either held back or unleashed by how much we love ourselves. And so I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, and that is this. Do you love yourself? Do you love yourself? I'm not going to make you answer that to anyone other than you and God. But if you say yes, if you do love yourself, what makes you so lovable? Must be those dimples, Al. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's that sense of humor. Maybe... Maybe it's all those abilities that you have. And, 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 and if you say no, if that's your honest answer, do you love yourself? Why not? Why are you not lovable? Is it something you've done? Is it something you haven't done? Is it a character flaw? Is it your receding hairline? <laughs> no matter what you answer that question with or how, this is the question that our reading today is going to address. And so I want you to turn to your Bibles, and I want you to open up with me to Philippians chapter 3. That's toward the back of your Bible. It's a letter by the Apostle Paul. And um, we're going to start at verse 1. I think we're going to get to about verse 9. We won't make it quite as far as I had hoped this morning, and that's okay. This is where the Lord has us this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And while you're looking that up, I want to remind you of a story that I've shared several times. I think I share it every time I preach on Philippians chapter 3. So I'll start calling it my Philippians chapter 3 story, even though I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. Um, but it's one place of many that I might look to to answer the question for myself, do you love yourself? And that would be to base the answer on whether or not I'm a good father. Because I have five kids, and, and, and I, I love being a dad. I want to be a good dad. I want to be seen as being a good dad. And so I always share this story about when our oldest son, Jacob, was only four years old. He's 14 now. 
And we were out hiking on the White River Trail. Um, how many of you, show of hands, remember this story? All right, several, only half of you, okay? Um, so, so the other half, you need to hear uh, how terrible of a father I am. <laughs> Gary's laughing. And so we were on the White River Trail, and he was only four years old, wanted to ride up on my shoulders. And I'm like, sure, that's fine, right? And throw him up on my shoulders. I don't know what happened, but we were crossing over a bridge, and as we crossed over that bridge, something slipped. And four-year-old Jacob, my firstborn, right, fell backwards and went headfirst into the ground. And he was so hurt. You know how when your child gets so hurt, they don't even cry? They lose their breath? That's what happened. And then he screamed. And he ran into the arms of his mother, Alyssa, and when he was done crying, I wanted nothing more than to embrace my son. I felt so terrible, and so I bent down, and I went, Jacob, come here, and he wanted nothing to do with me, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes. I will never forget this moment, and he said to me, Daddy, you dropped me, and it wasn't a statement. It was this question, Daddy. You dropped me because in his four little years of life, I had never even once dropped him. And I want to tell you, it's been 10 years. I have never dropped any of my kids ever again. And I have five kids and I had two foster kids. I did the math. That means I've only dropped 15% of my children. Um, I'm like a solid B average dad. I think that's, that's pretty good. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I wrote that before yesterday. Jacob and I were swimming together and I said, Jake, I'm going to tell uh, this story in church tomorrow. Can I try to pick you up? And I dropped him. So <laughs> I dropped Jacob twice, but none of the other kids ever um, before. But seriously, though, I'm, I'm far from the perfect parent, right? And yet at four years old, Jacob and any child at that age, they, they rather blindly trust the adults in their lives, especially their parents. So much so that little four-year-old Jacob climbed up on my shoulders without any single worry or concern in his mind or even his imagination that anything would happen. And it was in that moment that he trusted me and I dropped him. And he ended up being fine. I don't even think he had a bump on his head. I don't even know how that happened. But I will never forget the valuable lesson that I learned that day. And that was that I am not the perfect father. And I never would have told you that I was. <laughs> I wouldn't have told you before that day that I was perfect. I went to seminary. I know that I'm not perfect. I get that. But before that day, I will tell you that my expectations of myself and my ability as a parent were probably somewhat higher than they should have been. I'll do anything. I can do anything for my kids. And my expectations of my limitations were somewhat lower than they should have been, too. Case in point, if you had asked me five minutes before that experience, would you ever drop your son, what do you think I would have said? No, right? And I would have said it with truth. I would have been honest, right? With every fiber of my being, I would have said absolutely not, would never, ever drop my son. And then five minutes later, I dropped my son, 
Now, the reason that I share this and the reason that I am referring to it as my Philippians 3 story is because it reminds me of one of the many ways in which I might answer the question I asked you at the beginning. Do you love yourself? Because 10 years later, if I replay that moment and how I felt at that time, if you came to me, if I went to church that day and I was asked the question, do you love yourself? I'll be honest with you, the answer to that question would have been no. No, I don't. However, if I stuff that and I only think about all the good times, that I've been a good parent, I might be more inclined to say that the answer to the question is yes. The problem is that neither of those extremes are a true reflection of who I am, and I know that. And see, this is just me as a parent. I could play this same game with you as a husband or as a son or as a friend or as a pastor. I'm here to tell you I am not as great as my highest highs. I am not as wonderful as my most heroic moments, my best sermons, my greatest accomplishments, and I'm also not as bad as my lowest lows, my most cowardly experiences, my most monumental of failures. And if all that's true for me and for you as well, then it brings me back to the question, how do you answer, do you love yourself what's the basis what's the rubric how do I decide because my guess is that you're a lot like I am and the answer is going to come from one of the two extremes in some place in your life where you generate your identity from if it's not as a parent maybe it's how good you are at your job or or your education or your physical appearance or how much hair you have or how much money is in the bank but i do know that there is a voice inside of every single one of us in our heads and it whispers deep down into our souls messages that sound like this you are loved because you did this or you're not loved because you did that and in our reading today from the apostle paul He's here to tell us that there's actually a third way of answering that question that doesn't come from either one of those places. It comes from a better place, a more robust place, a place that will leave you answering the question with a resounding yes every single time. Before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. We're reading a letter, and we're jumping into the very middle of this letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. He writes it while he's imprisoned in Rome. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he starts out by saying this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is an oxymoron if you know the context from which these words are written. Paul uses the Greek word here for rejoice 11 times in this short letter that he writes while he is imprisoned. Clearly, his joy has got to be coming from a place outside of himself and outside of his current circumstances and that's an important detail for you to kind of file away 
as we try to interpret what he has to say next. So we continue further. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. And so what we know now is that what Paul is about to say is he's about to repeat something. And it's a warning that there is danger ahead in front of the people that he loves. And he is telling those people, rejoice despite your circumstances. And then verse 2, watch out. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Did, did anybody here, did anybody here see the, the sighting, the picture of the bear in Walworth County, just north of town this week? Show of hands. All right, some of you are like, there's a bear. <laughs> there, there might, okay, I don't know if you even want me to say this, there might even be more than one. They've seen it in Delavan, they've seen it at Geneva National. This picture that I'm showing you here on the screen right now, I believe that's up in Sugar Creek, just north of town. Like, not the first time that we've had a bear sighting in Walworth County, but am I the only one that's a little bit terrified by that? <laughs> right? Right? Like, like, I don't live in the North Woods for a reason, right? right? I, I'm not used to seeing those things every day. Now, if, if that's a picture of your backyard, and maybe it is one of your backyards, you should tell me if you're the one that took that picture. But if it is, or if it's anywhere near you, do you think it's worth reminding the people you love the most before they let the dog out at night, or before they let their young children go out and play, there might be a ferocious wild animal that's going to devour you in the backyard. Do you think that that's an important thing to maybe even say twice if you have to to make sure those you love stay safe? Of course it is. And so imagine the Apostle Paul says bear instead of dog. That's what he's saying. He's saying that there is this wild, untamed animal, and it's out there, and it's ready to destroy you. And so the question is, what is he referring to here? What could possibly be so dangerous? It's not a bear. It's not a dog. It's not even a thing. It's actually a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking, and it's embraced by a group of people known as the Judaizers. Say that with me. Judaizer. Sounds, sounds like the next Marvel movie, right? A Judaizer, okay? Here's what it was. This was a group of religious fundamentalists that, that insisted that in order to be confident that you are right with God, you've got to be confident that you've done all the right things and that you are doing none of the wrong things. To Judaize literally is defined as to make someone Jewish. And in the Jewish traditions and in the laws and all the rules and the ways in which they built upon those laws, there were a million different ways to attempt to make yourself Jewish. You could be a professional at making yourself Jewish. And the Apostle Paul was absolutely one of those people. And so he outlines the contrast between who he was and who he is now in Christ in the next few verses. So let me read this to you and then we'll break it down. Verse 3. For it is we, says Paul, who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have such reasons for such confidence. If somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, check, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Have you ever referred to yourself as an American of Americans, right? That's what he's saying here. In regard to the law, I didn't just follow the law. I taught the law. I enforced the law. A Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Every time I read that verse, you know the song I sing? Anything you can do, I can do better. (laughs) I can do anything better than you. And Paul would say, yes, I can, right? Because he could. The Apostle Paul, when he was referred to as Saul, before he met Jesus, was a spiritual millionaire. He had his PhD. And it wasn't in religion. It was in being religious. Before he met Jesus, it was those things that he based his answer to the question on, do you love yourself? And if Paul said yes, it was because of all of his accomplishments. And that's just like any fundamentalist that you and I have ever met. Paul was like that, and he was exhausted by the time he met Jesus. If he wasn't spending time earning his own salvation, he was judging others and killing those that were not as successful as he was. Paul never got married, but if he did, if he had a son, I guarantee you, he probably wouldn't drop him on the White River Trail. But Paul would have been the kind of guy that would have been at the trail. He would have been the guy that just happened to be there when I dropped my son and would have been the one to volunteer all the ways in which I should have been doing things differently to not drop him in the first place. That's the Apostle Paul. And frankly, we've all met Paul, haven't we? We've all met Paul. Often often we meet him in church. We meet him in church, right? They're, they're judging. Were you singing during that opening hymn? When the pastor told you to open up your Bible, did you open up your Bible? Or were you not paying attention? Did you put money in the offering plate? How much money did you put in there? Was it enough? Couldn't you give more? See, we've all met Paul. They're paying attention to who you're sleeping with, what you're drinking, who your friends are. And then sometimes we are our own Paul. I think that's actually pretty common, isn't it? Maybe you haven't met Paul outside of yourself, but in your own head, you are your own Paul. Constantly critiquing yourself, saying you are not good enough, you have got to do better. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul was good. He was good at what he did, and most of the time, he didn't break the rules that he was out there enforcing, which is why what he says next doesn't make any more sense than rejoicing while being imprisoned does. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, say it with me, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now let me make a clarification here. Paul is not knocking his accomplishments in and of themselves. 
There are some accomplishments and things we strive toward in life that are really good. I have accomplished not dropping my children for the last 10 years. And that skill set is actually a really good thing, isn't it? (laughs) Because seriously, dropping your children hurts them. And it hurts you. And so we read God's word and we learn all sorts of things that we're called to do that are good. They're the way in which God has designed us to live for the sake of not hurting other people and thriving in our own lives ourselves. But when Paul met Jesus... What he's saying here is that Jesus made him a new creation that was no longer tied to how good or bad he followed the rules that God has placed before him. That in Jesus, Paul has now become more valuable and more worthy and more powerful and more loved than he ever was and than he could ever earn and it can be never taken away. And so in comparison... He, 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 he compares his greatest accomplishments and he calls them garbage, which is our translators in English way of being polite. Because the Greek word for garbage, if you look it up in the original text, is, is skubalon. Say that with me. Skubalon. You know what skubalon means literally? It means a dog's pile of... We're a family-friendly show here. You know what I'm saying? Means poop. And when Paul met Jesus, he realized that in comparison to Jesus, nothing, even the good things, mattered. It's all like that. And we saw this play out this this week. How many of you watched the the news about the missing submersible that went down to to see the Titanic um, at the bottom of the ocean? Were you watching that? I was, I was captivated by it. I don't know if you were. I know people all around the world were. I just, every day, I was, I was checking the news. I, I found myself hoping, even praying, that they would be found. And it was the, it was the day before that, that, that I was talking to my wife, Alyssa, about this. And, and, and it was the day before, sorry, the day before that they, they tragically found all of the debris and realized that these five passengers had lost their lives. I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I, I've been thinking about why am I so interested in this story? Like, why is this so captivating to me? And I think that the reason is, is not because these five lives are somehow worth more than the countless other lives all around the world that are facing just as dire circumstances, right? There's people all around the world that were in the same situation at the same time, not because they were down in a submersible, but because they're facing war, or poverty, or, or you name whatever it might be. But the reason I think that I, and I can just speak for myself, but maybe for you as well, the reason I think I was so interested in the story and I was watching every single day is that I really wanted to believe that if all of humanity pulled together all of its resources and strength as one, we could accomplish anything. I wanted to see it. I was picturing that submarine coming up from to the surface and these people coming out. I mean, I thought, my goodness, this would be an amazing movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be an incredible story, even better than the movie about the Titanic, <laughs> except it didn't happen. All the manpower in the world was not enough 
to bring these people back. Just like the Titanic itself wasn't able to stay afloat. What did they say about the Titanic? It's the largest, strongest, greatest ship to ever sail. And it's two and a half miles to the bottom of the ocean. And you know what? There's going to come a day when we're going to face the same circumstances in our lives too. There's going to come a moment where we face death. And it's not going to be broadcast around the world for most of us, right? Your, your rescue from cancer or addiction or a heart attack or a car accident or old age may not garner the attention or the resources of multiple nations and millions of dollars, but there will come a day for all of us where even if it did, it wouldn't matter. We face that with brother in Christ Herb this week. I saw it play out right in front of my eyes. And it's on that day when all of our strength and our accomplishments are exhausted, when we hit the absolute end where the grace and the love of God is just beginning. And it's why the Apostle Paul says that in comparison even his greatest accomplishments and the greatest accomplishments of all the world are like dog poop. And anyone who tells you that you are valued and loved based on what you've done or what you haven't done, good, bad, or indifferent, Paul says, is not to be tolerated. They're to be avoided at all costs. They are as dangerous or more dangerous than a wild bear in Walworth County, Wisconsin, because their message has the potential to mutilate your soul. Now, does that mean that we don't grab hold of the good things Outside of God, on this side of eternity, of course not. This is not about our temporary accomplishments. This is about how we answer the fundamental question I asked you at the beginning. Do you love yourself? And when you meet Jesus, the answer is always a resounding yes. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything he's done and says about you. Let me just show you a few things that said about you. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you don't believe that, Colossians 2, he forgave all of us, all of our sins having canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let me summarize it. You are loved by God. And as your pastor, and as your friend, and as your brother in Christ, let me tell you something. God's opinion about you matters more than anyone else's, including your own. We love because he first loved us. And it's with that love that you and I can then go out 
and share it with the world. Amen. Love has the power to change someone's day, to lift someone's heart, to comfort someone's soul. Love is a language that everybody speaks, men and women, young and old, rich and poor. Love is the character of God, who loved us before we loved Him, who loved us so we could love one another. Love is not just a feeling, it's a commitment. Not just an emotion, it's a decision. Love is about giving, not getting. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the power of love.